Hello and thank you for listening to, or about to listen to, the Dairy Dialogue podcast, and this is number 97. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and we have a great show for you this week, thanks to our guests. It's been another wet week to the point where the one day in the past seven with a good forecast of warm and sunny was a complete lie. So the final leg of walking the Ayrshire coastal path will have to wait until this Saturday, which ironically is also my birthday, although I've given up counting them. I think the most memorable one, at least in recent memory, was my 40th. The day itself wasn't that eventful, but at the time I was, among other things, also a professional soccer referee alongside the day job in the media and being in a band. Anyway, one of my referee friends called to wish me a happy birthday and jokingly said, look out, once you hit 40, your Achilles can go. And of course, I laughed. Two days later, I wasn't laughing because it blew in a game. And what a noise they make. And I ended up in an ambulance headed to the hospital. So before we get to this week's news, and there's been a lot as usual, I'll tell you who's on the podcast. Of course, we have our usual look at the global dairy markets this week with Charlie Highland from Stone X. We have three interviews for you this week, including four guests. We chatted with Annie Bienvenue, Vice President of Technical Services, and Christy Saitama, Vice President of Ingredient Marketing from the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Andrea Montre partner at Inodelis, and Vasily Nassar, founder of Boss Dog. All right, let's take a look at the news from the week that you may have missed. In Scotland, food company Mackey's, which makes, among other things, haggis-flavoured crisps or chips and ice cream, hence getting included in the news on the dairy industry, is replacing its freezing equipment to lower emissions. There's a new dairy plant being built in Kyrgyzstan, the A2 Milk Company published its financials, and a study by a Bulgarian consumer group has found that most of the samples it took of cheap white brined cheese have a huge amount of water in them. Another study, this time in the US, suggests the coronavirus pandemic was a perfect storm for the dairy industry, Chinese dairy company Mengyu has pulled the plug on a deal to buy Lion Dairy and Drinks in Australia, mainly because they were told the deal wasn't in Australia's best interest. I sense a bit of a deterioration in the relationship between those two countries. There's concern in a village in Luxembourg about the potential for a large yogurt factory to be built there, and a country we don't hear a lot from is Oman in the Middle East. But a company there, Mazoon Dairy, has launched some new products with the help of SIG. That would be another amazing place to visit to do a video article, once we can travel a bit more freely again, that is. Certainly some incredible scenery in Oman. Tillamook, in also beautiful Oregon, has launched a new line of low-fat yogurts, and on the launch front, this time ingredients, Xberry has launched a new yellow powder based on carrots. You can read all this news from around the world of dairy and more at dairyreporter.com. And so to this week's guests. One of the articles I didn't just mention was on Dairy Permeate, and the U.S. Dairy Export Council recently held a webinar to promote the product to Chinese manufacturers. According to Innova Market Insights, new product launches containing Permeate reached an all-time high of 531 products in 2019. That was up 11% over 2018 and double the number of launches from 2015. 
To tell us everything we need to know about Permeate and what the webinar involved and the kind of products that Permeate can be used in, we talked to Annie Bienvenu, Vice President of Technical Services at USDEC, and Christy Saitama, Vice President of Ingredient Marketing. And you will first hear from Annie about what the product actually is. Dairy Permeate is the co-product of high-protein product production. So when we make products like whey protein concentrate, milk protein concentrate, and ultra-filtered milk, when those products of manufacturers, the milk or the whey stream is divided. And for the permeate side, we purify the lactose and mineral present in milk or whey to yield a product that's rich in lactose and dairy minerals. And as for the kind of products that it could be used in? Permeate is very versatile, so it can deliver benefits and it can be used in many food and beverage products such as baked goods, where it's going to help develop the color and the flavor, and it can also help to uh, extend the shelf life of the baked goods. In confection, it's going to help to enhance the flavor of compound chocolates, and it's going to help to develop the sweet brown flavors and colors of the caramels. Permeate can improve the nutritional label and reduce the sodium without sacrificing the taste in products like uh, pizza dough, prepared foods, soups, and sauces. It can also be a good carrier for seasoning and dry flavors, so it can help to disperse them uniformly in products such as snacks and prepared dishes, where it can also deliver a clean dairy flavor and sodium reduction. And it can be used in dry mix, ready-to-drink beverages, and also fermented beverages where permeate can contribute to the nutritional content and is a source of dairy solids. And what benefits does it have for manufacturers using it in their products? Permeate provides multiple advantages in food and beverage formulation. First, it can help you to save on ingredient and production cost. And permeate can help to improve the functionality and sensory profile of food. Since permeate is rich in lactose, it will contribute to the Maillard browning to help the food to develop that desirable color and flavor. Permeate can also help you to achieve the nutritional target by either helping you to reduce the sodium in a food formulation or by delivering a natural source of valuable dairy minerals. Permeate is clean label, consumer-friendly ingredient, and the U.S. offers ample supply of sustainably produced high-quality dairy permeate ingredients. And, and in terms of labeling, how would it be? How would it appear on a label if a manufacturer uh, is to use it? The answer is it depends. It can be called dairy permeate powder or more specifically milk permeate powder or whey permeate powder. We also see dairy product solids, lactose rich, deprotonized whey or milk modified whey. So it varies by country, but the big takeaway is that it's a dairy ingredient, so it offers clean label and it's consumer friendly. The press release that came out about the, the webinar for 
Chinese manufacturers said that there's been a massive increase in the number of new products that are using Permeate. I wonder why that is and why companies are turning to this as an ingredient. Hi, Jim. This is Christy Saitama. I'm happy to answer that question. Um, there are a lot of reasons, actually, but three factors really stand out. And those factors are rising customer awareness, geographic expansion, and usage diversification. The customer awareness, those are things Annie talked about. The demand's risen as manufacturers learned about many of those benefits that Permeate has to offer, and that it truly ticks the boxes that manufacturers are looking for, things like nutrition, versatility, multifunctionality, cost savings, and also that it's a, it has a planet-friendly benefit of using an upcycled ingredient. But beyond that, uh, Permeate's usage now has really taken off in recent years and going beyond those early adopting markets of the United States and Western Europe to nowadays you see more and more products being launched in Asia, Latin America, and the Middle East as they have also discovered the Permeate's advantages. And then the third factor, usage diversification. What we've seen is that you know, the, originally Permeate was more heavily used in some narrow segments like hot beverages or bakery and confectionery. But nowadays, we see more growth in additional category segments, emerging categories like snacks or fermented beverages. And what's really promising is that there's still ample future growth frontiers like this. Things like instant noodle seasonings is another growth opportunity for the future. So the factors really are all things that have will bode favorably going into the future as well. And, and how do you get that word out? Is it through things like the webinars that you did so that you can increase awareness of the product? Exactly. So U.S. Tech has many marketing efforts uh, really focused on international markets, Asia and the Middle East and uh, North Africa and Latin America. And we focus on three main areas so that the Permeate customers can really understand how Permeate can meet their business growth and innovation needs. And those kind of pillars are really education, experimentation, and exploration. So we provide the educational training and technical support to customers, such as via seminars or workshops like that one in China, on how to successfully utilize it in different applications. We also do a lot of experimentation, collaborating with some of our in-market partners to ideate new product concepts and conduct trials to show that it's not just something for Western-style cuisine. You can use it in the local cuisines and that meet the local market preferences. For example, that's whether that's Indonesian-style, Vietnamese-style, Egyptian, or now even Chinese. And then finally... It's not just us providing this education or experimentation. Those are just the building blocks. Eventually, when they get this information, the customers do the exploration on their own. They get excited about it. And from doing these trials in their own labs, in their own product lines, they can really see this ingredient works. It delivers what it says it will do. And that really drives also the increased usage for Permeate. Sure. And and what's the um, manufacturer awareness of the product like currently obviously it's um it's being used in more products so it must be improving uh, definitely it really depends on market to market i mean china is a market where it is fairly new but in the united states where it's more of again that's our home turf for permeate production awareness is higher and that's also the case in markets like southeast asia where u.s deck has focused many efforts of the past five years to introduce permeate benefits to local manufacturers and really showing how it's an ideal ingredient and innovation solution that fits Southeast Asia-friendly food and beverage applications. In fact, Philippines is the number five market for permeate launches around the world. 
And and what about consumer awareness? Is that something that you would deal with or would that be up to the individual manufacturers to get the word out as to what the product is? Sure. Um, consumer awareness right now, I'd say that is fairly low. It's more that, for me, it's a type of those hidden, mighty secret ingredients that delivers what consumers want in their products, um, what they want to put in their shopping baskets, whether that's a real shopping basket or a virtual shopping basket, because it delivers that sodium content in a delicious way and is still reasonably priced, especially at these times in the pandemic when purse strings have to be further tightened. But it's more of that kind of secret ingredient, not necessarily something on a label that a consumer would recognize at this point. And how are you promoting the ingredient both nationally and internationally? I, you kind of touched on this already, but... Um, a lot of educational efforts, you know, seminars, workshops nowadays with the pandemics, like the webinar that for China. Maybe, actually, Annie, would you be a good time to talk about the webinar in China? We had great reaction from the Chinese food and beverage manufacturers to our webinar. We had a lot of registrants and good attendance number. And we were very happy that most of the participants stayed focused for the duration of our almost two-hour webinar. This was USDEC's first webinar in China, and the purpose was to provide an overview information about Permeate and get the Chinese food and beverage manufacturers enthusiastic and motivated to get started to realize this new opportunity that the approval of this new ingredient means for them. The title of our event was Grow Your Business Through U.S. Dairy Permeate Innovation. And we explained everything from what's permeate, the product specification. We provided the technical information on the functionality, examples of how to use permeate in different applications to help the food formulators get started. We shared some ideas about potential applications for Permeate. We presented the information about the 2019 global food and beverage new product launches. We provided a bit of an overview for the market, the production and the exports. And finally, some of our US suppliers of Permeates were able to introduce themselves. We have some initial feedback from our exit poll. Everybody was very pleased. They thought the webinar was excellent. We asked them about what they thought might be most successful for China, and they reported prepackaged bakery product and confectionery product would be the best food categories for China. So we think that this is a big opportunity for the manufacturers in China because Permeate is easy to use. It's going to deliver great benefits in bakery and confection application. And that globally, we've seen a rapid growth in utilization. We also know that there are lots of new bakery products launched every year in China. And some of it are imported products. But local products, there's more than 100 products every year made by Chinese companies. So I'm actually really eager to see what Chinese manufacturers will come up with and how they're going to take advantage of this great opportunity that this new ingredient presents for them. Is it something that's cost effective to use in product development? Yes, it's very cost effective. It can reduce the cost of your ingredients. And it can also help to retain some moisture. So your cupcake, for example, will have a little bit more moisture in it. 
in in terms of the the process working with some of these companies if they're interested how much assistance can you give to that process right from the helping them with product formulation right through to going to market or how much involvement do you have exactly jim the united states is the world's leading supplier of permeate and we're here to help them uh, with whatever the manufacturer needs to kickstart their usage of permeate, whether that's general information on permeate characteristics, information about its functionality and what that means for their application, technical and ideation support, including in local-friendly um, products, uh, market trends and insights like the Innova data um, we were shared um, in, in your last article, or even to get in touch with the dedicated and quality U.S. suppliers of Permeate. But most of all, we're really, really excited to see what global customers' new creations are going to be with U.S. Permeate to come. Is there quite a lot of variation around the world in, as to what people will use this in their products? For example, one area is like instant noodle seasonings. It's a product that kind of considers sometimes perhaps as a college dorm kid's food in the United States, but around in Asia in particular, it's a kind of a staple or a snack. So, for example, what kind of flavor seasoning you might want from you know curry flavor seasoning to chicken flavor seasoning to that all uh, shrimp flavor seasoning, that kind of variation of flavorings, or same like in bakery products, maybe like things like how, how about pandan flavor or gula malaka flavor? These are flavors popular in Southeast Asia. It's these types of variations in bringing the product so when consumers have the product, it's familiar flavor and products that they like um, with Permeate. So there's really no limit to its versatility then? Absolutely. The, the, the sky's the limit. It's up, up to somebody's imagination. I think you just said it, and it's important to understand that permeate is a very versatile ingredient that will deliver many benefits in your food and beverage formulation. In the U.S. and throughout the globe, our global programs for many years have had a great deal of experience and success using permeate in a variety of applications. And for us, the publication of the standard for dairy permeates in China opens a world of possibility for the Chinese manufacturers. And we at USDEC, on behalf of the U.S. dairy farmer and with the U.S. dairy manufacturers and our local USDEC representative in China and our partners at Jianyan University, we really hope to support the innovation in China using the U.S. dairy permeate ingredients. And just to add to that from my perspective as well, during these challenging pandemic times, we think that it's really a time to accelerate innovation, not to put a pause on it, because the needs are of consumers and what they put in the shopping basket is ever-evolving. And to do that, the many advantages of U.S. Permeate are hardly matchable as a single ingredient and innovation solution. So in addition to getting in touch with U.S. Tech and our overseas offices directly to get started with that innovation and usage, we also encourage manufacturers to visit our website for more information, and that's thinkusadairy.org. We did have a few technical challenges in the interview, but we managed to get through it. I obviously cut out all of the bits of me saying, can you hear me? Is there anybody there? The joys of technology. Although I'm sure that those are phrases that many of you working at home have been saying over the last few months. Now we head to the West Coast to hear about pet food. But surely this is the dairy dialogue. Well, yes, but it's not only humans that eat dairy products. 
Boss Dog produces a whole range of products for pets, and it all started in 2018 with a line of probiotic frozen Greek-style yogurt treats for dogs. To tell us more about the company and the products is the company's founder, Vasily Nassar. I wonder if you could give me some background on how all of this came to be. We generally cover the dairy industry for human consumers, but why should it be just for humans, I guess? Absolutely. That was, that was, those were the words that came out of my mouth two years ago when I moved into pet. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's fair to tell you just a little bit about my, um, my professional background. I've been a serial entrepreneur now for about 25 years. Our last big project was Greek yogurt for humans. In 2002, I launched a Greek yogurt concept uh, with a couple of other partners that ended up scaling uh, multi-channel, multi-segment over the course of about 20 years. And in 2010, we were acquired by a large uh, natural and organic group, which gave us um, access to a tremendous amount of regulatory resource distribution. And so we really... uh, you know, had uh, a lot of experience in dairy and digestive health solutions. So that's where most of the background came from that emphasized my next venture. And so fast forward 2018, we scaled our old Greek yogurt company up to, uh, and this is just to give you an idea for scale, up to about uh, 200 plus million in street sales uh, and said, you know, uh, I broke away and said, geez, you know, uh, I think I can do this uh, just as well on my own again. And um why not do it for pets? And at the time, I had uh, acquired a, a Rhodesian Ridgeback. He was my first dog, and oh, probably since I was a child. I think a lot prior was a Collie German Shepherd. I called them the same names because I never got over the fact that I lost the first dog. <laughs> so he he ended up coming in and just bringing a, a massive amount of joy into my life. You know, he started off at about ten to twelve pounds, and I think today he's. Um, not verified, but the largest Rhodesian Ridgeback in North America. He's about 165 pounds and uh, just a, a cupcake. You know, everybody loves him. So we've got a, you know, kind of my mom calls it the menagerie here at the house of animals. And so I kept looking at all the different options that they had for feed. And I said, you know, we came from a specialty premiumization uh, world. Why not uh, offer some value or added value concepts for pets? And so I said, I know a ton about Greek Froyo, and we don't want to develop another kibble and bit concept. So I said, let's launch with Greek-style frozen yogurt treats for pets. It was a novelty item uh, really at the time because I knew you couldn't build a business on treats alone. The pet food industry is drastically different from the consumer industry in terms of go-to-market, penetration, and then really getting... um, distribution. It's just a completely different model. So, you know, historically, my team, which is composed of a group of senior executives that have all been with me for about 15 years, Jim. So these are people that uh, started with me early on in the consumer world that, you know, I, I really just handpicked here in, in 2018 and said, you are you crazy enough to, to go for another run? And about four or five of them raised their hands and said, we're, we're up for it. And so in 2018, I, I brought this group together. Uh, we launched Greek style frozen yogurt in January of 2019. The group focuses specifically on narrow market entry. So I try to find places where there is not a lot of competition, where I think we can penetrate and add value while telling the story. And so this was the perfect entry for me. Just so uh, we, I don't pigeonhole the Boss Dog brand into just a dairy-only concept, we uh, we moved into raw goat milk in March of 19, which then sprung 
uh, our complete freeze-dried balanced meal system in September 19. Uh, and then we launched a first ever to market ancient grain based tree called Pro Puffs, which is actually a patented puff forming uh, where I use a, a, a quinoa sorghum and millet and I infuse them with protein and probiotics. And then uh, about two weeks ago, we introduced the first freeze dried meatball with 96% meat, organ, and bone. What's common amongst all the items, Jim, is we infuse everything with probiotics. So we focus specifically on digestive health solutions for pets. And it, we believe everything starts in the gut. Prebiotics and probiotics in the consumer world have always been critical in promoting gut health and a variety of other benefits. In pet, it's still a relatively new concept for a variety of different reasons. Uh, one, uh, there's not a lot of innovation in pet. If you look at the last 20 plus years of pet, it's been a kibble and bits world. So. Only recently have we seen what we're referring to as the premiumization of the specialty channel. And so we said, you know, again, how do we make a difference? So we infuse everything with probiotics, which is really easier said than done. Uh, it's one thing to inoculate uh, a raw component and let the probiotics flourish. And it's another thing to introduce it to a processing step where you're freeze drying it or potentially high pressure pasteurizing it. So we learned a lot from our old world and that it's very important that if you're going to make a probiotic claim and the brand stands behind this digestive claim, that you make the claim so it's substantiated at the beginning and the end of shelf life. So there's a lot of work that went into, A, you know, what products do pets want? How are we going to infuse the probiotics so it's sustainable over time? And that we can make the declarations that we want to make and then make it appealing so that consumers want to try it because at the end of the day you need to have feasible and viable concepts so that was essentially the evolution of boss dog what's exciting about the brand and i'll sum up the intro here is that we've hit almost seven product segments in less than 18 months and it's relatively unheard of you know going from treats to supplements to complete meals to full protein treat solutions to now uh, in October, we'll be launching our first uh, tactical hard goods line. So you'll see Boss Dog start to resonate from just the digestive health solution brand that it is to some other play where we think the brand resonates very well and durable and sustainable pet goods. Did you just sort of say, well, I'm going to make exactly the same thing for pets? I mean, obviously, did you have to do a lot of research in terms of what kind of products would work for dogs? Yeah, there, there was a fair amount of research, one, because a very little of it had been done for us. And then there, um, you know, there's a, a different governing body in the pet industry. We're bringing causes and campaigns to them for consideration. A, a lot of the ingredients that were keyed in many years ago are the same ingredients we saw 20 years ago. So, you know, adopting concepts like quinoa or sorghum, these were relatively new to these bodies. And then you take it another level and once you get qualification through this governing body, you then have to take it to the examination step at the state level. So those are the obstacles that you have in front of you before you even innovate in pet. And then for us to come up with a concept that we thought that would resonate and be good for pets took, uh, I want to say, about a year. And it, it, Jim, it had a lot to do with truly running trial, getting a clear sense that, you know, uh, one, the delivery system can't be scoopable yogurt. It's uh, as, as novel as it sounds. It's the dirtiest, messiest thing you've ever seen. So we ended up freezing the product. 
Uh, but then finding the right strain and the right level of probiotics so that, A, you're not upsetting uh, the dogs or the pet stomach. Because we've actually formulated our Greek-style Froyo for both dogs and cats. So, yeah, there, there was a lot uh, that went into canine-specific strains, the level and the total CFU colony per gram to make sure we weren't overloading, but that we were making the end-of-shelf life claim that we could um, stand behind. So, yes. So did you have to talk to like veterinarians and, and people to make sure that what you were doing was going to be healthy for the dog? You know, I was really fortunate right in the beginning. I surrounded myself with some key people, uh, those that that gave me uh, an overview to uh, channel penetration. And the other half uh, of the group was regulatory and nutrition. And so I work with um, a group back east that uh, actually this, this young lady who's been in the industry for many years, she handled both consumer and then now pet the last 10 years. Uh, she's been instrumental in giving us uh, that guidance. And then in-house, we have a, a Dr. Obani who is a uh, PhD in complex carbohydrates, who has a phenomenal knowledge across multiple areas of uh, expertise in both consumer and now just recently pet. So we have people we can go to, but again, a lot of it is just truly running trial, getting the ingredient qualified, and then making sure the pets like it and are responding to it. We like to look at products that have efficacy and, and value beyond just taste. And why are the products available? So Boss Dog's year one strategy was uh, purely market penetration. If I was to break the industry up into to four pillars, I would say a specialty channel is what you'd call your mom-pa grocery store. Then you move into your more your mass market, which is your bigger box group. Uh, then you get into e-com, which is our the phenomenon that I think is exploding in light of the situation that we're in and, and even prior to. And then you get into conventional slash natural grocery, which is, you know, you walking down the pet food aisle at your store. One of the things we've learned over the years is channel strategy is critical and we're very loyal to the channel. So Boss Dog started and is a pet specialty brand. We focus heavily on pet specialty. The approach is to tiptoe into certain e-commerce markets with preferred resellers uh, and do it the right way, because we don't like to undermine the brick and mortar. We're still a big believer of uh, support your neighborhood. If you walk into a pet store, you get a tremendous amount of value outside of just buying pet food. I would say 95% of the time, the pet store employees are extraordinarily knowledgeable. They know what to recommend for puppies, for dogs or cats with ailments. And that's the kind of stuff you just don't get online. So we still believe um, that that's a, a market channel and segment that we want to continue to support. That's not to say that we aren't going to expand intelligently. Uh, it'll just be done with discretion. You learn almost everything you need to just by visiting the stores. You, you know, And I, I actually challenge my regulatory team to get out. It's great that you go to the seminars and the conferences, but get out and talk to the owners because they'll tell you what the Frenchies like, what the bullies don't like. And if you listen you can innovate intelligently around it. We're actually launching a concept in Southern California exclusive to the region based on uh, that logic. We're listening to what some of the Southern California dog breeders are looking for. We're uh, innovating concepts that will support um, their growth and life stage. So that's is a perfect example of Boss Dodge getting involved and in listening to the consumer. So the, as well as the fact that it's a, a good product for the animals, it's also something that's really benefiting the health. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything generally that it's not exposed to high levels of heat 
whether it's you're talking about lactose, for example. So when you look at our cow's milk that we use in our Greek froyo, cow milk in and of itself could and generally causes a reaction in most dogs. Uh, we've taken the time to introduce a lactase enzyme, which I'm through all your uh, dairy experience you've heard. So we actually introduced lactase enzyme to extract the lactose from the product, making it far more manageable. In fact, I don't think we've ever had a dog have issue. And then our raw goat milk, which is inherently lactase loaded because it's not heat treated. That's an item that the dogs can easily absorb. And we far recommend raw goat milk for direct consumption uh, over cow's milk or any other milk for that matter. I think it's commonly and universally looked at as the universal milk for pets. And then, of course, you, you said you moved into cat food, I and mean, you can't just take the same product and cross out the word dog and write the word cat on it. They've got different needs again. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because, um, you know, Boss Dog, originally everybody thought it was coined as a, a dog-only company, but our, our belief is any animal could be a Boss Dog. I mean, I think you've even heard the reference, but we're also cognizant of the fact that pet owners want products that are formulated specifically for pets. And while our Greek froyo can uh, appeal to both dogs and cats, our raw goat milk, and I, I need to point out, Jim, our raw goat milk, it's not just raw goat milk. We actually got way ahead of it early on before the DCM crisis. We added DHA and taurine to our raw goat milk, knowing that it would be both good for both dogs and cats and trying to cater to both needs. But as the brand evolves, we're, as I was saying, we're cognizant that pet owners want pet-specific foods. So I am pleased to say here, and I don't think I've actually said this anywhere else, I think I was probably going to do it at Super Zoo this year, that we are going to be introducing Boss Cat for the first time in Q4 2020. So that's that's the first shout-out that anyone's ever heard on that news. All right. And yep. in 2021, is that Boss Rabbit? Yeah, yeah, whatever. Hey, I'll tell you what, if there's a market for it and it fits brand strategy, we'll look at it. <laughs> And uh, what's reaction been like from humans? Obviously, the animals can't write you testimonials or whatever. You know, we're, we're inundated in social posts. I think uh, somebody once told me if you're sitting on a park bench and you look over and you see an empty cup or lid of one of your brands, you know you've made it. Well, nowadays, I think it's how many likes or posts you get. And so, you know, I, I see them come through daily. We get hundreds of them of people showing their product to their pet. You know, where historically it was we might get a story or you get a letter in the mail. You know, now you get instant gratification or instant uh, criticism. Uh, the criticism is minimal, uh, if at all. Uh, and the overall support for the brand has been fantastic. It's like any new brand, Jim. It just takes time to get the wheels turning and uh, to create the kind of attention and noise because it's a, a very crowded market. There are hundreds and hundreds of treats coming out every week in pet, it seems. You know, it is to get the listing, to get the distribution. There's so many different obstacles of entry that the consumer might not be aware of just to get to shelf. I've seen phenomenal products never materialize because they couldn't get through the initial barriers of entry, which is a shame because sometimes it's a it's a money game. Uh, you know, at other times it's a you know a reputation game. You know, how well have you done it in the past, and is it worth us investing you again? Because bottom line. You're talking about four to five feet of real estate, and it just comes down to who's going to turn the most. It's a business at the end of the day. So we, we try to do our business with compassion. And so what's next for Boss Dog? 
just continue to look for expansion. We're going to be introducing a complete and balanced frozen meal wine this Q4 as well. That'll have um, the first round of our Boss Dog and Boss Cat series. And um, keep your eye on the brand. We're moving fast. Certainly good to include our pet friends on the show. I miss my dog, but at least I still have a couple of cats who love to jump on my computer and send people messages at inopportune times. Now it's over to Quebec in Canada for a relatively new company that is transforming the global ice cream industry. It's a new business concept and it's been created by the company Inodelis. To explain the company and its concept is one of the company's founders, Andrea Montreux. Inodelis is an ecosystem composed of ice cream manufacturers, brand owners, importers, and value-added suppliers. It is worldwide, and its mission is to help them discover, buy, and sell the needed solutions to be more competitive in their respective markets. And this is between them. This is important. And so this all happened because my business partner and I used to work in the ice cream uh, manufacturing world as well as other dairy uh, organizations. And it really didn't matter if we were working in Europe or in Canada, if we were working in the procurement or R&D world uh, or even in sales. There was three recurring market challenges that happen every year and, and that we needed to face in order to be successful. First one was innovation. Innovation is what drives growth. This is no news for anybody. However, what is changing is that innovation is uh, happening faster and faster and is remaining on shelf less and less, right? So what you launched last year might not be on the market next year. This is increasing risk for manufacturers. The second market challenge is that consumer and customers are having more and more expectation and it's hence becoming more expensive and more complicated to maintain their loyalty if there is such a, uh, such a thing. And the third one is that there's industry consolidation everywhere, which is making it very difficult for manufacturing partners to compete. All of this together is creating this innovation dilemma. On one side, you have the option to innovate. So you will choose what you want to innovate. Already you're making a choice, right? You're leaving some options on the table to concentrate on others. You're going to have to financially invest in this. And you're going to bring in complexity by adding more SKUs or, or more innovation, which is on top of that kind of becoming more complex. So you have this innovation opportunity with its bulk of risk. And then you have the option B, which is to not innovate. And then you're taking the risk of selling commodity, which is going to become easier to beat you and, and you know reducing your price. So whatever you choose, you're faced with a lot of risk. So we came up with the, the conversation one day, the brainstorming, which was, you know, in order to win at this, we would really need a solution that allowed us to launch innovation at a lower cost with less time and with less risk. We would need to be able to maintain our customers and consumer loyalty by not only proposing from time to time innovative products, but actually thinking more into a three to five year innovation pipeline, showing capability of driving growth more than one year in a row. And then we need to have scale. We need to increase sales in order to have more money in order to be able to compete on the market properly, right? And that is exactly from this problem, this, this combination of problem is where Inodilis was born, was founded. And what are the advantages of this for companies that, that use it? Yeah. So in response to the needs that we, are, we were identifying, of course, what we bring is a 
portfolio of products that are ready to go, innovative products that are ready to go. So partners can pick and choose from that, uh, from other non-competing uh, manufacturers, and they can propel innovation in their own market with less costs, less time, and less risk. They can also expand their market presence through our services by selling to other manufacturers their innovation. So that reduces their risk on their side. And with this capacity of driving this kind of innovation where you're not losing money, right? You might not be making as much margin at the beginning, but you're not losing money because you're still, even if you buy products, you're going to be able to sell it for a profit to your retailer. You're capable of embarking in this conversation of more of a one to two to three, five years innovation plan, which is going to change your relationship with your retailer in a more strategic way. What we aim to do with our partners is to drive growth, sales and margin, reduce their time to market, reduce their risk and bring cost efficiencies to their bottom line. How does the platform actually work? Can you sort of give me maybe a, an example of if I'm an ice cream company or if I'm an ingredient company, what the steps are and how it all works together? Yeah, absolutely. So first, we have what we call a collaboration principle. This is super important. Not a lot of commercial relationships starts immediately with a, a, a contract. But in, the, in our case, we thought this was important. It sets the tone. And why this is important for us is because we have the strong conviction that over and above competition, it is now collaboration that will allow to unlock new growth opportunities. This is what we're based on. And so in this two, three page agreement, we're actually exposing the collaboration principles, not only towards us, but towards the other partners in our ecosystem. This is not about, you know, Inodelis versus another partner. This is about inviting partners to collaborate together in a worldwide ecosystem. So once that is said and we all agree, this is a two to three page, it's short. It's very different than what we used to live in when we, we were manufacturers ourselves. It's two to three page, it's short, it's fair, and it's not, it's not limiting. Nothing in our ways of doing impedes you to do your thing. We are here to create new growth, new opportunity. We're not here to hijack any relationships you might already have or any plans you might have. We're here to come and turbo a little bit your plan to growth. Step two is once that's signed, then we start exploring. What can they bring to the ecosystem? What products do they have? What potential do they have? What technology do they have? Reversely, while we're doing that, we are also understanding what kind of challenges they're living with. What could the ecosystem bring to them? What are their current needs that we can leverage other partners to help themselves so that they solve this quicker and they're more competitive? Now, once that's done, we come back and we go and explore our ecosystem and we come back with concrete opportunities. Shall it be to sell or to buy? And it's always in a one to two pager. Everything is compact and it's in there so that quickly anybody in the organization can look at this and make a quick decision. Is this the right opportunity for them? Yes or no. There's nothing that's binding them of saying yes or no. In every step of the way, partners are fully in control of what's going to happen. Once they say yes, this is where the magic happens. We start fostering the collaboration between them. We bring partners together. We're not here to exclude one or the other. We're here to actually build commercial relationships. This is where we think the potential for future growth lies. And then we help them through the project management from technical information to samples to customs information to international logistics needs, anything that needs to happen in order for this project to, to work, 
we're here to help. And finally, we can actually follow the cells afterwards and continue fostering this relationship. So we're a little bit like a glue through all of this, a little bit of a moderator. I prefer moderator than intermediary. We're really here to make things happen and we come and compensate whatever lack there might be on either side to make sure that this happens. Step five, of course, is celebrating. <laughs> With social distancing, of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> what kind of companies would be involved in this? Are we talking about ice cream companies as well as ingredients, packaging? Is it the whole, anything that's related to the industry? You got it. You got it. So we started by focusing on ice cream manufacturers. But when we talk with ice cream manufacturers and explore what they need, then this organically grows, right? So one partner said, Gee, can you help me with fruits? With COVID, for example, the harvest was terrible. You probably know this already. Um, so there was a lack of fruit and prices were going up. Well, we had an importer of ice cream that also managed importations of fruits. So he came to the rescue, helping our partners find the right uh, fruits at the right price. So now that's a service we can offer to, to all. And we were capable of reducing costs by like 20% even in this year. So it made a huge difference. But then that's just one example. Some partners need help with the international logistics side of their business. They're not that used to exporting. So we come and help with that. Packaging is another one social media uh, service, you know, how to do this. Everybody has a great product, but then how do you make it known on the market? So, it, you know, it, the needs are always different. Some are, one partner actually asked us to help him sell his business. Every organization has a need. The vision behind our ecosystem is a little bit like a bottle to the sea. You, any manufacturer or brand owner or importer could come to the, to our ecosystem, position their need, and the ecosystem can respond with a solution. And what about the geographies of this? Because obviously you've got different rules and regulations in different countries and different import details, and it can get quite complicated when you start talking about different companies in different countries. How do you overcome any of that? So we did a lot of homework, a lot of homework to understand this. This is probably one of the elements where that, that impedes uh, export uh, so much as understanding that, the fear of that. So we, we know a lot about that. And where we don't know, we have partners that can go that extra mile for us to, to understand. Honestly, by putting a lot of people around the table to tackle a situation, there's never been a situation where we're not capable of figuring it out. It really, that's the magic of the ecosystem is that everybody has a part, a portion of the answer. And you're right, this does happen. Our, part, our ecosystem is now spread on 17 countries and three different continents and counting. I'm hoping even this week, uh, fourth continent will be uh, added. So this is day in, day out what we do. And I suppose that one of the benefits of that is that for the companies that participate, that it really takes away any panic about certain areas that they're not sure about. Exactly. And it's not just with the customs. That's exactly, I think you just pinpointed the major benefit that our partners tell us about our service is that we become a natural extension of their team. Their sourcing team can turn to us and say, look, I'm, I'm super busy with COVID. We you know we're reduced in our team is reduced. Can you help us find this? Our marketing partners tell us we need to launch something. We're super late. We couldn't develop internally because, again, of COVID. Can you help us find something quickly so that we can launch on market and not have it two bad years in a row? And so in the sales, of course, is like, well, you know, I have another partner that told us, yeah, you know, we're more than happy to sell any of our products. However, we do have a huge objective of selling this particular product because we've invested. Well, by having that conversation, we naturally extended 
his efforts and we focused on this need. And today he's he has potentially four new partners around the world to sell this product. So that's the main advantage that they see is exactly that, is that we come and alleviate pressure and fear through collaboration with other partners. We figure it out for them. In terms of what you get out of this, is that is do they pay annually in order to be a part of this or do they pay per project? How does that work? That's a good question. Today, the way that it works is it's based on commission once there's results. The objective behind that was to, once again, to be the solution that we needed when we were a manufacturer and to reduce risk. What we're hoping is that in time, this ecosystem is so big and it it works so well, so efficiently, that it can become more of a membership base. But until then, we come in and actually create that glue and, and that capacity to work. And we only take a commission from the person that sells once he gets paid. Is this something that will be applicable to very small companies and very large companies? What end of the scale are you aiming at? Or is it everybody? Actually, it's everybody. In our ecosystem, we have manufacturers that are very large, amongst the largest ones in the world, You know, and they have beautiful advantages to bring to the ecosystem. They have a large network of customers and distribution, so they have high volumes when they start buying. They also have interesting technology, and they're usually cost competitive right? because they have mass. So that makes them super interesting. The smaller ones are usually very agile, very quick, and take more risk. They're ready to you know, buy more products and test it in the market, fail quickly. So that also brings another dynamic. And the medium ones, each partner really has something to bring. I'm convinced of this. And our job is to find that particular element from them that can help other partners grow. And so do you also get into questions along the lines of companies coming to you and saying, we really don't know how to do this, but can you help us get into plant-based? Oh, yeah. Plant-based is a huge, huge, huge focus on, of ours. Probably our earliest success. We have two kind of partners in this. There's the first one that is already advanced their position and they want more innovation quicker to be sure they stay on the market. These are usually more agile, smaller partners and they're afraid of losing their market space. So they need to innovate. One of them actually just told me last week how after going through us, he never wants to go back to the traditional ways of developing products because with us, it took a fraction of the time and it did not take all of his attention away from his commercial relationship. So absolutely. And then you have the bigger ones that were did not think that this was going to take on so much and did not do any R&D work and now are facing demand from customer without a solution. And so we come as a, a huge short-term solution and saying, here you go, you have a full portfolio going from tubs, bars, desserts, sandwiches, you name it, cones, it's ready to go. And you can put it under whichever brand, right? It could be your customer's brand, it could be your own brand, you're ready to go. For sure. And as you as you just mentioned, it, it probably helps those companies catch up or accelerate their R&D at least. Yeah. And, and, you know, COVID, of course, um, you know, just as any other organization caught us by surprise and we, we had to rethink on how we were doing this. We used to travel at least one week a month everywhere around the world to taste ice creams that obviously stopped immediately. What we found out, though, is that because of social distancing, um, the partners couldn't develop anymore. You couldn't go into a lab and taste products and produce it as a team. And, you you know, it, it was complicated. So when everybody kind of figured out how to come back to work, there was a huge gap of a two, three, four months of not doing any R&D development. So we really were capable of positioning them and saying, you know, don't worry about a thing. 
here's your, we actually prepare our portfolio discovery where we uh, help them identify all the trends per type of formats. We can put their products on it and then we can show additional products to them. So it's a very visual tool. In a few seconds, they can understand where they are present, where they are not, where they could go and with what products. And the only thing they need to do is tell me which products they want and we do the rest. We bring back the sourcing offer, samples, technical sheets, they're ready to go. What else are people saying about the, or your customers saying about the product? Generally, when I speak with partners, they immediately tell me, wow, how innovative an approach and how needed this this was, right? What they love about what we're doing is that because it's majorly between, you know, we're not talking with retailers. This is a position we've taken since the beginning. We cannot foster collaboration and trust and become their competition by going to the retailers. So because this is a safe environment and because everybody's in the same boat, it really facilitates conversation and eases the capacity of getting into a trusting relationship very quickly, which then increases speed in the project. So this is an element that they really enjoy. So I'll give you an an example of when I say speed, I have this manufacturer that says, you know, I have a product right now, but we'd like to change it for a better version. But it has to be very cost competitive. We can't find anything. Can you help us? We had nothing that matched that exact profile, but I remember another partner, you know, and I thought about their profile and their potential. And I thought, oh, maybe if we brief them correctly. Well, they had spent months, if not years, looking for this product and could not make it. We briefed this partner well, and in less than 10 days, we had technical sheets, pricing, and samples going towards our our manufacturer. And this actually was our first transaction. Now, what was more interesting is that we then found out that they actually knew each other. They just weren't looking and talking to each other in that way. So it's very eye-opening when you look at collaboration in the works. There's so much yet to be done and so much yet to be unlocked. And this is what our partners are realizing. And so how do you, where do you go from here? How do you grow this to, you mentioned another continent coming on board. How do you grow this to 170 countries? Exactly, exactly. Well, this is a good start. So if, you know, you have listeners that are manufacturers, brand owners, uh, suppliers, importers, you know, they're more than welcome to connect with me. Immediately, what we're trying to do is grow this ecosystem. The more, really, the merrier. This is not an exclusive ecosystem in the sense that we're not excluding people. Really, the more we are, the more we can find solutions. Second element is to bring more solutions to more problems. Every time we talk with the manufacturers, there's something that comes up. So the more we find suppliers capable of driving value-added solutions, the more problems we can fix, the more natural we become as an extension of their teams. And then eventually, you know, frozen desserts is what we knew. We had an expertise, we had connections already, but nothing impedes us of of considering other uh, sections of the food industry. So more to come on that later. And now it's over to Dublin for our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Charlie Highland from StoneX. Hi, Jim. Um, So the dairy market this week uh, continues to be uh, reasonably quiet. Quite a lot of the people are still on vacation in in Europe, so a lot of major decisions are, are on hold. That said, there's been a bit of a lack of very strong direction in the market as well, which has been adding to the um, stability. The weekly quotations this week to to show you some of the stability have uh, have been all slightly higher if, if you look at the major products, butter, skim milk, powder and whey, but really not too dramatic in terms of the increases. 
Butter, for example, is up zero point two percent to three thousand three hundred ninety euros per ton on average, uh, and skim milk powder is up one point nine percent to a little over two thousand one hundred euros uh, per ton on average. Um, slight increases, but again, reasonably stable. Um, if we look at skim, a couple of things driving that increase, uh, possibly the stronger GDT of last week, for skim that is. And also there's talk uh, this week of the O'Neill, the Algerian tender being back in the market. So that usually provides uh, some support um, as those negotiations are ongoing. A little bit hard to see Europe winning an awful lot of the volume on that tender, um, especially versus the US, which uh, due to the weaker dollars is looking quite competitive right now. So uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that to see if that does bring some some extra demand into the market. Um, outside of that, there um, really, you know, the supply demand picture seems to be reasonably in balance. Uh, we're hearing reports that availability of, uh, of skim in particular on the physical market is quite low uh, from suppliers and, and also the similar situation on cream. I mean, we've had, um, you know, price rallies in, in cream, which is driving higher butter interest, at least or higher butter prices. So with availability a little bit lower than, than people had expected, possibly down to some of the, the warmer weather we've seen on the, on the continent, that's helping to provide some stability here, even though the demand picture does not look too aggressive. So all in all, reasonably stable markets, and it's probably a reasonable expectation that that may continue in the short term uh, until something changes to to knock out the, the balance in the market. Um, so we have to kind of wait and see what that's going to be. Thanks, Charlie. We'll catch up with you again next week on the assumption that neither Dublin or southwest Scotland is completely covered in water. StoneX, formerly INCLFC Stone, provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it for this week's show and for August, because next week will be our first podcast of September as we stutter towards podcast number 100. I keep building that up as if it means something special and that it's going to be a crazy podcast with 100 guests or last 100 minutes, neither of which is true. Actually, 99 is going to be interesting as well, because not only is it podcast 99... As luck would have it, it will go to air on 9-9, the 9th of September. So lots of nines going on there. I'll try and have it finished at nine minutes past nine in the morning, but that's pushing it. Anyway, I hope you have a great week ahead. Stay safe, take care, and as always, thanks for listening.